0: Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PM&R from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, Learn and enjoy.
1: I would like to welcome back our listeners to part two of an interview with Dr. Nathan Zassler. So Dr. Zassler, welcome to you too. And let's begin where we left off at the end of the first part of the interview. Last time we discussed various topics including the care of patients with post-traumatic headache. So how is post-traumatic headache treated? Are there advances being made in the management of these types of headaches?
0: Again, treatment is going to be guided by the type of headache disorder that you're treating. So migraine headache, as an example, will get treated very differently from tension type headache, which will get treated in turn differently than headache due to TMJ problems or occipital neuralgia or whiplash injury to the neck. I think clearly the knowledge regarding treatment options for the various types of post-traumatic headache has increased in the time I've been doing this, which is fairly lengthy over about 30 years, but we've had some recent interesting developments, including the use of neuromodulation techniques, such as supraorbital stimulation or occipital nerve stimulation, for treatment of headache, use of different types of blocks for treatment of headache, among other approaches that look quite promising. There are also a number of new medications that have come up recently and been FDA-approved, including CGRP inhibitors for migraine, among other drugs that are now being used to treat variants of post-traumatic headache, mainly migraine and tension-type headache. So I think it's an exciting area right now to see where some of these newer medications or technologies take us with regard to how effective we can be in modulating post-traumatic headache pain.
1: Generally speaking, can that type of headache be conservatively managed, or are there ever concerns about the need for a surgical intervention?
0: In the time I've been doing this, I would tell you that we always remain aware of the risk of a surgical lesion as an underlying cause of a headache presentation, whether in a post-trauma patient or in a non-trauma headache patient. but. In terms of the experience out there, I would tell you that it's certainly a small percentage of people post-trauma who present with headache who ultimately require some type of surgical intervention, but it does occur and it needs to be in the back of anybody's head evaluating this type of patient to consider things like scanning an individual with a CT scan to make sure They don't have an epidural or subdural hematoma or a depressed skull fracture, etc.
1: Earlier, you mentioned medications. What's the risk, if any, of patients who experience persistent headache pain overusing their medications?
0: Well, I think the biggest bugaboo there, and there's been quite a bit of news on this, both in the lay media as well as in physician-associated publications is the controversy of use of opiates, which probably get overprescribed historically, particularly in emergency room settings. When people come in, say they had a car accident, I'm having headache, it doesn't go away. And the risk there, as with certain other medications, is that overuse of the medication in a patient's effort to control their headache may actually cause or worsen headache. What I referred to in our first interview as medication overuse headache. So certain migraine medicines can do that. Even taking caffeine excessively can cause a headache due to, in quotes, overuse. Triptans, which are used for abortive management of migraine, are historically and currently recommended to be taken optimally two to three times a week maximum. Otherwise, you run the risk of medication overuse headache as another example. But there are a number of medications used in headache management that have that risk, and therefore it's very important to educate the patient appropriately and the caretakers. If there are caretakers involved, to how optimal compliance is critical to efficacy and to avoidance of problems and side effects.
1: You mentioned that overusing pain medication could lead to headaches that are worse and perhaps more frequent. And if they're using opioids, then there's also the possibility they could acquire an addiction. Are there any other dangers you'd like to mention about overuse?
0: Of opiates specifically, there are multiple side effects of opiates. Also, one of the dangers is that oftentimes patients who have these post-traumatic headaches are also being treated for anxiety with benzodiazepines, and that is a contraindication when you're treating with opiate medications. So there are also other endocrinological side effects of chronic opiate use, aside from the both physical and psychological addiction risk that you mentioned earlier. I would just mention as an aside that I think the role of opiates is extremely limited in the context of treating post-traumatic headache disorders, and although there's no great research here, I would tell you, clinically, in my experience, it's rarely necessary to consider opiates for post-traumatic headache pain, regardless of its etiology.
1: Thank you for that clarification. Do situations ever occur when appropriate treatments for these types of headaches may be beyond the financial reach of segments of the population that may have inadequate third-party insurance coverage? And if that happens, what, what goes on then? How do you deal with these kinds of situations?
0: Well, in prior practice settings, I can tell you, and I still know that it exists, that it happens all the time, not just in regard to headaches, but in regard to just post-trauma and post-TBI care, that there are often significant gaps in the continuum of care and the accessibility to that care, depending on where you're located, what your financial resources are, what type of insurance you have or don't have, which obviously is a sad scenario for those people who need to access appropriate services for pain management, but don't have the resources to see people specialized in that particular area of health care. I don't know that there are any great solutions to those problems. Typically those kind of patients are probably best served by going to a large university-based program where there are residents in training who typically will see those patients who don't have you know, adequate funding, but it varies from locale to locale geographically.
1: How do you view the importance of patient involvement in medical decision-making and in any related aspects of their care as it relates to post-traumatic headache?
0: Well, again, I think it's always critical to involve the patient, regardless of their absolute level of capacity. Obviously, in someone who's severely disabled and cognitively impaired, there are thresholds. But if not the patient, then the guardian or caretaker obviously needs to be involved either as well or individually individually but I think that it's very important for patients, family, caretakers to understand what the therapeutic goals of treatment are, to understand what diagnoses are relative to the headache disorder, the general prognosis for that condition, how long you think it's going to take before the condition improves, and what's expected of them in terms of their contribution to their own pain management, whether it's an exercise program, medication compliance issues, behavioral techniques for pain management, etc.
1: An important aspect to healthcare would seem to be a patient's resilience and maintenance of an engaged participation in their rehabilitation. From your standpoint, to what extent is patient perspective taken into account by clinicians who typically treat these kinds of patients?
0: Again, that's a tough one to answer because I don't think there's good research, but obviously understanding the resilience level of a patient that you're treating and understanding how they view their condition, whether they're viewing the glasses half full or half empty, what's often referred to psychologically as their response bias. Do they tend to be stoic? Do they tend to have this Perception that the world's coming to an end at the other end of that spectrum, or are they smack dab in the middle with a realistic, neutral perception of their condition? So I think those things often don't get thought about enough and are pertinent, at least to a degree, to how people cope with pain what their perspectives are regarding their pain and how it impacts their life. And to some degree, those things can be modified through behavioral interventions and psychological education.
1: Many patients may be inclined to seek other treatment options beyond what we know as conventional medical care to address a wide range of health conditions. Regarding the patients whom you treat for post-traumatic headaches, do you try to find out if they use any practices that would come under the rubric of complementary and alternative medicine, which as I'm sure you know is a multi-billion dollar industry all by itself?
0: Certainly I do, and I always ask about whether they're on any kinds of supplements, homeopathic agents, et cetera, and an all-inclusive list of the treatments that they have received or continue to receive, I think that there is potentially a role for these types of interventions, and there's some evidence limited looking at some of these techniques. Acupuncture probably is the, the biggie on post-traumatic headache, showing some degree of additional efficacy of that intervention. But there are other things that I don't feel we truly understand, like craniosacral therapy, that I have had a number of patients over the years report being quite effective. I can tell you certainly that osteopathic manual manipulation and treatment, as well as chiropractic treatment, which some people might consider as alternative therapies, can be quite beneficial in patients with cervicogenic contributors to their headaches. But there are multiple other ones that can be added to that list where we just don't have enough evidence-based medicine to opine. But I think looking at risk-benefit, if the intervention isn't something that's going to create problems then one could argue that it's at least worth a trial, and if there is benefit, then great, even if we don't understand why that benefit's occurring.
1: Do you see ways in which rehabilitation services for post-traumatic headache might benefit from leveraging existing and emerging kinds of social media platforms and using other modalities such as apps, wearable devices, and even virtual reality technology?
0: I don't profess to be an expert in all those areas, but what I can tell you is that I see social media platforms as a mechanism for dissemination of information and education of both the lab- public as well as healthcare professionals about TBI in general and post-traumatic headaches, specifically among other topics. There are a number of apps already out there to track headache, probably focusing more on migraine headache, but there are a number of pain apps for both pain management as well as migraine tracking. So they already exist. They haven't permeated the healthcare professionals who work with these patients in my experience, but they are out there and I think you're just going to see more of the same in terms of additional apps that become more relevant to specific headache subtypes in terms of both diagnosing as well as treating those conditions. As far as wearable devices, um, I'm not sure exactly where you're going with that, but I mentioned some of the neuromodulation devices. TENS, electrical stimulation, cranial electrical stimulation, or CES, are all wearable devices that are now being used in the context of treatment. VR technology, at least as far as headache, I'm not familiar with anything, but, you know, VR has multiple applications, and somebody may come up with an application for headache. At this point, I'm not aware of any.
1: Apart from the ability to pay for health care, which we discussed earlier, availability and transportation problems are among the factors that contribute to the difficulty of obtaining in-clinic rehabilitation services. A related question would be, what role do you see in-home telehealth therapy programs in addressing this situation?
0: Well, specific to post-traumatic headache, I think it could be an excellent educational tool. It can be a methodology to follow up on compliance with medication prescriptions, home exercise programs, therapeutic exercise interventions, behavioral interventions by a nurse, PA, nurse practitioner, or other healthcare professional.
1: Indicate if there are any factors such as age, gender, race, and ethnicity that could affect both the degree and the speed of recovery from headaches when they occur.
0: Well, there are multiple issues here. Obviously, there are cultural influences on pain perception that need to be taken into consideration, so there are differences in terms of things like pain perceptions, pain tolerance across different cultures. As an example, we know that with gender issues, there's an ongoing controversy about why females tend to be at greater risk of TBI, and there seems to be a greater incidence of headache disorders in the female population, whether that's related to differences In neck structure with female necks being typically thinner, longer, less muscular, or affective issues, that is females tend to have a higher incidence of anxiety and depressive disorders than males, we don't know yet, and those are just two examples of factors that may be responsible for those differences. So there's still a lot that hasn't been explored about these variables and their impact on headache presentation in terms of the nature and prognosis of the headache disorder following trauma.
1: Do you see any need for developing improved clinical care guidelines? An example might be when to acquire imaging studies of the head or neck in patients with post-traumatic headache.
0: There's generally good guidelines for non-traumatic headache. There are some guidelines, limitedly, the Ontario guidelines out of Canada and the Veterans Administration guidelines that address some of the issues with regard to headache and recommendations. But I think a more internationally developed consensus set of guidelines on post-traumatic headache would be very helpful.
1: Similarly, do you see the need for improved assessment techniques, diagnostic measures, treatments, and uh, modifications to the current classification system for post-traumatic headache?
0: I'll take the last one first. There have been multiple criticisms of the current international headache classification system, ICHD3, so yes to classification as it relates to specifically post-traumatic headache, I think that, again, there's this absence of standardization of how we assess, how we treat, how we measure treatment efficacy that could all benefit from doing some further research in these areas and understanding more about how to standardize that practice to optimize outcomes.
1: And based on what you just said, what would be some of the primary deficiencies in the currently available research regarding post-traumatic headache?
0: I think that there are multiple criticisms that could be levied. Probably one of the biggest ones, from my perspective, is the generally global absence from most of these studies. And there have been quite a few studies looking at post-traumatic headache over the last 10, 15 years is the absence of an actual hands-on physical examination to address some of the things I talked about earlier in both the first and the second interview session with you. I think that is paramount to understanding and having a complete picture of what the pain generators are because of the overlap in how these headache disorders can present If you just base the classification and final diagnosis on an ICHD3 methodology, you're going to, in my opinion, over-diagnose migraine, which is also made more complex simply by the association of both photosensitivity and sound sensitivity with brain injury, aside from the fact that it can be related to migraine, but it can be confusing also in the context of making somebody think there's migraine when there's not because of those sensory hypersensitivities. So my answer would be, if I was to give one answer, documentation of a comprehensive post-traumatic headache physical exam, which would include both neurological and musculoskeletal elements.
1: In your experience and based on the available literature, what do you see as the best way to avoid persistent symptoms of post-traumatic headache?
0: Well, experientially, I would answer that question by telling you getting the patient to someone who knows post-traumatic headache earlier than later and trying to head the horse off at the beginning of the path as opposed to seeing the patient six months, two years Five years post-injury, when you have a lot of secondary issues that become problematic in the context of treating in terms of the chronicity issue, whether it's what's termed central sensitization, which is a process whereby pain, even though it may not be generated on the surface, is being generated centrally. Secondary psycho-emotional responses to chronic pain, including anxiety and depression, is the two most common, among other issues. And we have to remember that pain can affect multiple aspects of function. It can affect cognition, can affect sleep, can affect behavior in terms of irritability, depression, anxiety. So it really is a significant impairment if it's not treated early and not treated appropriately.
1: Dr. Zassler, I'm going to conclude part two of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights with our listeners about several important topics pertaining to the care of patients who experience post-traumatic headache. You've managed to provide the equivalent of a treasure chest of sound advice regarding headaches. It's been both an honor and a pleasure to have this discussion with you today, and I wish you continued success in all your endeavors. Again, thank you very much.
0: Thank you for allowing me to participate. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at NYULangone.org/Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcast.